read from Luke 24 this morning, um, and that is the passage, so you can turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 13. We're going to go all the way to 35, so it's a, it's a bit of a, a read. Um, and as you turn there, I'm just going to introduce this to you. Uh, one of the big problems I've had as a Christian, uh, by the way, for those of you who don't know me, maybe you haven't met me before, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. I've been on staff for a little over 10 years, usually work with families uh, and their children and college students. Uh, and I've done some with the worship team as well. And um, so uh, I'm just so privileged to be here this morning. Paul's taken a much needed break as he does from time to time. Uh, but he is going to be here for the congregational meeting at 10, so don't worry about that. But All right, so uh, one of the big problems I have in my Christian faith um, is just what to do with the Old Testament. And I know many Christians, in fact, I haven't met a single Christian yet that hasn't encountered this problem in a significant enough way to where the Old Testament, with the exception of perhaps a few psalms and favorite stories, is a dead zone. It's confusing. It's irrelevant. It's offensive in many ways. And so the Old Testament ends up being one of those things that you just ignore, you never read. It's 75% of your Bible, but you just kind of push it off a little bit. And if you're going to memorize something or study something, you're going to go to the New Testament, maybe the Psalms. But the Old Testament, Jesus says, is important. A lot of Christians would say the Old Testament is good to read, but we should really distance ourselves a bit. The new church here in America should distance ourselves a bit from the Old Testament. Let me read a quick quote. Uh, We have been on the wrong track when we need to change if we're ever going to reach the next generation with the gospel. What is wrong with this track, you might say? It's that modern Christianity relies too much on the Old Testament. The problem with the modern church is our incessant habit of reaching back into the Old Covenant concepts, teachings, sayings, and narratives. Is that all there is in the Old Testament? Is that, is that what it's about? So I, I want you to feel that as we go in. And look, I don't have, David Heinrichs does not have an original thought here. I don't have a great philosophy to impart from you. So if you're looking to me, please don't. I want to take you to Jesus in Luke chapter 24. And let's just follow him and let's see what he says and what he does. And hopefully, we'll be blessed. So if you'll stand together for the reading of God's word this morning. Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. And it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that have happened. This is after the resurrection and after the death and resurrection of Christ. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they, they did not find the body, his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. I'll read that again. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's toward the evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has now appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread." That is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Let's take a few moments to reflect on God's word. I read something twice in that passage. He acted as if, right? He concealed his identity. And as soon as they recognized him, he's gone. Jesus is doing something here to these disciples nobody expected, and nobody wanted. They didn't want this. I feel their pain. I feel their pain. I, I am a people person. I'm an extrovert. I, I come out of my skin, and I want to see you. One of my love languages is physical contact, and if we're texting and phone calling, I'm just not a happy person. I need to be with some people and look at them and talk to them. And so for me, I don't know if you feel this way about your, your Christian faith, I, I feel abandoned a little bit by Jesus. He's gone. He's left. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but Jesus left them three times. Not just once. When he died on the cross, his disciples were saying, Where, what's going on? His body went to the tomb. It was sealed. Nobody could get in. They congregated together and said, what are we going to do now? He's left us. He's died. And then here in this passage in Luke 24, Jesus appears again, right? But then at the end of when, when they broke the bread, what, what happens? He vanishes. He leaves again. And then at the end of Luke 24, the very end of the chapter, which is the last chapter in the book of Luke, Jesus ascends to heaven. He uses the words, this is what Luke says, he parted from them. 
And I feel that pain. I want to see Jesus. I want to hear him. I want to feel his hand on my shoulder, and I can't. And so if you feel that way too, then you feel this disciple's pain. Uh, When I was a teacher, one of the biggest problems that I had was uh, using the restroom to relieve myself. I, 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 I couldn't do it, especially one year when my planning was at the end of the day and I had six hours with teenagers. So I had to be in the classroom all that time and so I just couldn't take it. I had to be able to leave. But you know what happens when the teacher leaves, right? You know what happens, all you do. I know it, bullies come out. It, it's, it's a revolution. <laughs> so I, I kind of came up with a system that worked. I would give them an essay prompt, and I'd say, okay, for the next 10 minutes, I want you to write this, this essay, and it's, uh, it's for a grade, but, but just go ahead and write. And they'd start writing, and I would wander around the class like this, and then I'd get to the back door, and I'd just slip out, <laughs> right? And then I'd go to the teacher next door, and I'd look in the, in the back, and I'd stand in the doorway, and I'd wink, and that teacher knew what I was trying to do, right? And so they got, I got it. I got your class. So that I ran down the hall. I had two minutes before the revolution started, right? And I would come back, and there was a new leader. There were new rules, usually involving throwing things at each other. Usually two or three people are written up by the other teacher who came in. This is crazy. Chaos happens when the teacher leaves. Is that what happened when Jesus ascended and left his church. Is that what happened? Did chaos happen? Well, I mean, if you went to the Reformation, if you know your history right before Martin Luther put up his 95 theses, you know what happened? The church went a little crazy. They said that they wouldn't allow someone to read the Bible in their own language People were burned at the stake for disobeying church policies, and the church was getting rich by telling people that if they gave more money to the church, they would avoid the fires of Christian hell, purgatory. It was chaos, and Martin Luther saw it, and not only him, but others too. That's happened quite a few times when the teacher leaves the room, right? You can see it through history. We see the beginnings of this type of chaos right here in Luke 24. Jesus has died. He is gone. And now what? Well, this sets up our passage. These two disciples, it says in verse 17, they were sad. In verse 21, we learn that they have lost all hope in Jesus. Jesus was going to do big things, and now he was gone. And then Jesus appears. When Jesus appeared, I I wanted to just, I just, think about these two disciples. It was only a couple of days after the resurrection. And they said, these women saw a vision and I'm not sure if it's true or not. And no one has seen Jesus, his body. Did they conduct a search party to look for the body of Jesus? No. What did they do? They gave up hope, dejected, and they're going home to Emmaus from Jerusalem to Emmaus. That's what they did. And then Jesus appears. Look at verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Now, this is important. As a student of the Bible, you've got to pay attention to words. Luke uses the words Jesus, but then he uses the word himself. Himself conveys something here, right? Why did he include that word? Well, it is because, obviously, it's not a spirit. It's not an image. It's not a vision, 
as the women saw a vision of angels, right? It's not this thing out there. It's Jesus himself drawing near physically. And then verse uh, 16, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus is purposely concealing himself. This is what Jesus does in your life as well. He conceals himself. But he does it in Luke 24 for a purpose. And we're going to learn that purpose. There's three things Jesus, convenient three, because it's a sermon, but three things we're going to talk about that Jesus shows these disciples about seeing him, about his revelation to them. It's the means of revelation. Three things. First, seeking. Second, studying. And third, sharing. The three ingredients to see Jesus clearly. So let's talk first about seeking. They need to seek. Revelation is hard work. You can see this borne out by the activity of Jesus over three years of his ministry when he was alive and working. He worked very hard to reveal things to his disciples. And notice this, in this passage, Jesus is done. He's not revealing anything new in this passage. All of the facts are done. Jesus is not working in the way that he did during his three years when he was alive on earth. He's not working in the same way after his resurrection. He's not doing miracles and teaching parables and principles and helping people, making things right, riding donkeys, confronting bad leaders, none of that. Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. He's done revealing himself. So what is Jesus doing here? What is he showing these disciples? Now, before we get to, they go to the scriptures, you, you can see that, they go to the Old Testament. I, I want to I set the stage a little bit here. There's a mind shift that we all need to be particularly attentive to. This is so important. We, there is a time when we are the active ones. We get up and we move So you and I need to seek. Jesus taught this many times to his disciples. In Luke 11, just a few chapters earlier, uh, Jesus said these words. He was talking about the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread, etc. And he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. And then he says, what friend would refuse to give bread to his other friend when, he, when his friend asks for it? What father would refuse to give his son fish and instead give him a stone? Nope, nope. God is the giver of good gifts. But Jesus' point is that you guys need to do three things in Luke 11. It's ask, seek, and knock. Three different words kind of mean the same thing. Do you know why you have to ask? Because you don't have something that Jesus is holding onto. Just like he concealed his, his identity just like he pretended to go one way, he wants to be asked, right? He has something, he's intentionally, he could have given it to you, but he's holding it. And so you have to now ask. And what does he say will happen to those who ask? 
they will receive. If you don't ask, what are you not going to, you're not going to receive. Do you see that? Seek, why? Think about the word seek. Why do you have to seek? Because it's hidden. It's hidden. But if you seek, you will find. It's not like, it's not like the Easter egg I did when my daughter, my youngest daughter was uh, like four or three you know, the Easter egg, I was like, I'm going to really hide the eggs. I'm not going to do the Easter egg hunt at Christ Community. You've seen the Easter egg hunt here, right? It's just a bunch of eggs all over the place. There's no hiding. We should say Easter egg gather, not Easter egg hunt. But I was, I was correct. I hid them, and Haley found not even one. Game over. So that is not the way God hides or conceals himself. He conceals himself so that if you seek, you will find. If you seek, you will find. So if you're a Christian, you're sitting back on your heels, you're waiting for God to come. It's not going to happen. Seek him, brothers and sisters in Christ, and you will find him. So Jesus is doing. Let's go to the scriptures. Let's look. Look. Do you see this? Are you seeking him now? Or are you giving up and going back to Emmaus? The, the last word is really helpful. Knock. Why do you have to knock on a door? Do you know why? The door's closed. And locked. You can't open it. You have to knock. This mind shift, this paradigm shift, changes your life as a Christian. I can't understate this. It's, let me just give you an example. How's your personal prayer life? How's your quiet times? Is it a duty? Do you forget to do it? Can you not make time for it? Are you seeking? Are you, how's your personal time? This, I read a book when I was in college by Brother Lawrence. It was called The Practice of the Presence of God. I don't know if you've read this book or not. But in that book, Brother Lawrence Uh, man, he has some interesting things to say. He says that if you're walking with Jesus and ignoring him, you're being rude. You should acknowledge his presence all day long. Like, think about it. He's here right now. Oh, wow. Okay, God's here. And I'm acknowledging that. And, and you, I'm, I'm going to be careful here because you sound like an insane person when you're in public and you go, oh, God, I, I totally see you. You know, I, this is great. And you're talking to God and people are like, who are you talking to? So you got to be careful with that. But I, I know practicing the presence of God is super important. And I remember this one guy in college, he referenced the Easter egg hunt. And this is what he told me. He said, my Christian life, my Christian relationship with the Lord is basically uh, an everyday Easter egg hunt where God hides Easter eggs and inside those little eggs are little like characteristics of God that I get to discover, little glories that if I find it and crack it open, I can see something great. And he referenced the time when he was reading Job and it, it was his friend saying, hey, laughter will be on the mouth of the servant of the Lord. Laughter will be on your mouth once again, Job. Hope in that, that, you, that your joy will return to you. And he's like, okay, God, today, I just, I just want you to show me laughter, show me joy. So we went through his day. He said, there's 16 times, you know, when God showed me something funny. Most people will say, that's just normal life, random funny things that come. No, if you're seeking God, that's God showing you something. 
You see how that's different, right? You seek after the Lord. I tried it one time. I was a teacher. I said, okay, God, give me one. And I remember I gave an exam. This is, this is like burned into my memory. I gave an exam to my students. I said, okay, here's, a, here's an essay exam. Write an essay. And I wasn't going to the restroom. So they're like, okay, this is legit. So here's the essay. And the, the one student stood up in five minutes. He gave me his, his essay. And it was a picture of stick-drawn figures. And I said, uh, this is an essay quiz. What are you doing? And he looked at me and he said... Hey, I heard a picture's worth a thousand year words. So basically, I wrote the longest essay in the class. Now, on one level, the human level, I have to put my teacher cap on and say, that's not right. Let's help you. What are you missing? But on a whole different level over here, God had just showed me joy and laughter right there. And I took a moment, I took, you know, my little remote control, you know, pushed pause on life so everything froze, turned to God and said, that's you. You came, now that's a small thing. Here's another one that I tried. I was reading in the Beatitudes and Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And instead of saying to God, show me comfort, I said, give me an opportunity to comfort someone who's mourning. Today, sometime, God, show up. I'm gonna be looking for you all day today. You showed me this in your word. I'm going out to look for it. You have eight hours. Now, you know, you don't want to put a time limit on God, but you, you get what I'm saying. In my classroom, I was a teacher. So, I mean, in my classroom, one of the students just so happened to have lost their pet the night before their dog died. It just so happened that in the teacher lounge, First Baptist of Leland brought in donuts for all the teachers like they did two or three times a year. It's a blessing for us, right? All I had to do was gather my donut, not eat it. That was a big deal. And I walked in the classroom to the student. I gave him a donut. He got to eat the donut in the classrooms, not normal. And all the other students, well, why, why did he get to? And I said, well, because his dog died. And we all comforted him. Except then 14 other kids said, y'all, my dog died too. Uh, can you help me out? But you see what I mean? I had to take just a moment and see, okay, it's a donut for a kid who's sad. I mean, Really? No, I'm seeking after God. And God is showing me, God is giving me opportunities. If you do that in your quiet time, your interaction with the Lord will change. So the mindset difference, Jesus is saying, stop giving up. Stop waiting for something to happen. There is a time, Christians, when God has drawn you to himself. Seek him, ask and knock. That's the first point. Not only this, but secondly, study. It's the second point, study. We're not just going into the woods back there and seeking the Lord like this. Where are you, God? In the trees, in the wind. Sure, there's something there. But Jesus says, do you want to see the gospel? Do you want to see forgiveness of sins? Do you want to see the words of that song, he conquered my sin? You want to see that? then you got to come to Jesus. And if Jesus is physically absent, where are you going to go? And Jesus leads them to the Old Testament. Jesus could have said, hey, let's go back to Jerusalem and look for Jesus. But he says, let's go back. Verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You have to go back to the Bible. The Old Testament is filled with revelation of Jesus Christ and the gospel. 
and missions. <laughs> Listen, that's why we study the Old Testament here at Christ Community. It's not just a manual for Christian living. It's not just comfort for your pain right now. We want to see Jesus in 1 Samuel. And when we get back into 1 Samuel and then we go to 2 Samuel, I want you guys to look for Jesus. Look for the gospel. Sinclair Ferguson, a theologian, said it best in his book, Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. And I'm sure some of you have heard of this. If you haven't, this is great. Listen to this. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience was imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void not knowing whether he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed by his father for us. And now we know he loves us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who, who betrayed him and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the real Passover lamb. Jesus is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible is not about you or the Jews. It's about Jesus. Isn't that a great quote? You can see Jesus in the Old Testament. Don't dismiss it. There isn't a wasted passage in the entire scriptures. This is the whole point. On your bulletin in the front, there's a Sally Lloyd-Jones quote. It says that every passage in the Bible whispers his name. That is great. I love that because it doesn't shout it. Listen to me. It doesn't shout it. You have to seek it. You have to go for it and study it. It's not just going to pop out. You got to, what did Jesus do to them? Did he read them the scriptures as if for the first time? No, they knew the, the Old Testament. What Jesus did in verse 27, the word is he interpreted the scriptures to them. This is what we do on Sunday morning. We interpret the scriptures so that you work hard with me and see something in the scriptures, namely Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. Now, I love John Piper. He's one of my go-tos. I love this guy. He's great. Uh, but he lost his mind one morning. I read, a, I read a blog and I got very nervous. I always get nervous when people say, I heard the voice of God. Like, oh, and I've referenced this before, so there's a spoil here, spoil alert. But, but John Piper, he's a little nuts, and he wrote this. He, he said, let me tell you about a most wonderful experience I had Monday morning, March 19, 2007, a little after six in the morning. God actually spoke to me. There's no doubt that it was God. I heard the words in my head just as clearly as any. The words weren't English, but they had the ring of truth. As I prayed and mused, suddenly it happened. God said, come and see what I have done. There's not the slightest doubt in my mind that these were the very words of God. In this moment, in this very place, in the mid-21st century, God was speaking to me with absolute authority. 
The God of the universe was speaking to me and he said, as clearly as any words as ever, I am awesome in my deeds toward the children of man. My heart leaped up. Yes, Lord, that's true. What else can you show me? And the words came again and just as clear as before, God gave me more. And then he pauses and he says, and best of all, they are available to everyone. If you would like to hear the very same words I heard on the couch on that morning, read Psalm 66, verse 5, 6, and 7. That's where I heard him. Okay, come on, John Pfeiffer. You just tricked me. Did he? Did he trick you? Why is that? Because you're thinking wrong about the way that you communicate with the Lord. If, if you're tricked by that, Jesus is tricking these two disciples to say, look, it's right here. This is the very words of God speaking clearly to you, revealing the glory of Jesus, revealing the forgiveness of sins right there. So don't wander around your life like I always seem to and say, I'm an extrovert, I need a hug. Jesus, you know, Jesus is here in his word and I can search for it and I can find it. I can ask him to show up in my day and he'll, he'll come and he'll show you himself. So then we're studying the scriptures, but that's not all. It's the last point I'm going to make here. That's not the only thing that happens in Luke 24. Seeking is important. Studying the scriptures, seeking the scriptures is important, but also sharing. We need to share this information with other disciples and other people in order to complete the equation. It strikes me as odd that right when he shows them the scriptures, he convinces them, their hearts are burning, he breaks the bread. This might sound a little bit like communion, and I don't have a lot of time to go into this, but this is really more like the breaking of the bread for the feeding of the 5,000 when everybody was confused about his identity. But anyways, he breaks the bread, and then they see it's Jesus himself sitting right here physically. And the next moment, Jesus vanishes. Jesus leaves. Now, I wonder, <laughs> I honestly wonder how Jesus, now Jesus is God, so yeah, how did he feel? I don't know. I, if I were in Jesus's shoes and I was talking to my disciples and I vanished, I would be nervous. He, he, here's why. When, when my daughter turned 15, I stopped driving her to school every morning because she's got a learner's permit. And the state of North Carolina says you have to drive for 60 hours, Right? Well, the first day she was going to drive herself to school, I was sitting in the driver's seat. And she, she looks at me and says, Dad, am, am I not supposed to drive this morning? And I thought, oh. <laughs> so I unbuckled, felt really weird. I put it in park. You know, I opened the door. I got out. I walked around the door. This was a weird feeling for me. <laughs> okay, my 15-year-old is going to drive me to school. <laughs> Sat down in the car. First thing I did, of course, you know, the five-point harness, the helmet went on, the elbow pads. I'm ready for this, right? And Hope is just as nervous. She's not alone. She's over here. You know, she's getting her seat adjusted in the mirror. She took her 20 minutes, and she's like shaking, puts it in reverse. Oh, my gosh, I'm going backwards. And it, we were just trying to keep each other alive. You know, before... Before she started driving with a learner's permit, we had such pleasant conversations in the car on the way to school. We would talk about life together and, I don't know, friends and all these things that were going on. And, uh, and, and now we were just trying to keep each other alive. 
stop, turn, whoa, put your blinker on, what's going on? And it was this kind of thing for 20 minutes every day. Now, wouldn't it have been easier for me to just continue driving the car? I'm more efficient, I'm safer, I'm faster, I'm smoother. I'm a better driver. No, there is a time when I need to get out, walk around and sit in the passenger seat. And that's Luke 24, right? Jesus gets out of the driver's seat, but he sits in the passenger seat and these disciples are in the driver's seat and he's leading them, he's coaching them, he's showing them things. But then as soon as they recognize it's Jesus, what does he do? He gets out of the passenger seat and it's it's your solo drive, Everybody remembers, well, I don't know if you do. I remember my solo drive, my first solo drive. It was nervous. If, if, if you make through your first solo drive, you've accomplished a lot. Why? Why do I need to leave the car and let Hope drive by herself? Do you know why? You, you know the answer. She will never truly understand driving. She will never truly have wisdom and experience She'll just have book knowledge. And that's the way it is for us Christians. You don't just study the Bible and put a period at the end of the sentence, that's it. I see Jesus. You move. And Jesus has left so that you move. This is so exciting. You know what the disciples did at the end? They said... The first thing they said was, Jesus, come with us. Come to the hotel. Let's eat together. The day is spent. And when they saw Jesus and then he left, what did they say then? That same hour. We're not waiting for morning. We're moving right now back to Jerusalem. And what were they doing in Jerusalem? Because the word is, they found the eleven. They were searching. They were seeking. Do do you see that? They were going back. Okay, if Jesus is gone, we've got to get back to the church. And lo and behold, Jesus did something to Simon and appeared to Simon. He is alive. And then they had their chance to say, brothers and sisters, let me tell you what Jesus did for us on the road to Emmaus. And then at the end of Luke 24... Jesus says something very important, starting in verse 44. Then Jesus said to them, he appeared to the disciples with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Everybody's there. Verse 44, then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything, and here it is, written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written. Now what follows thus it is written are two things. One thing you expect. Here it is. Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Yes. The revelation of Jesus. Salvation. Forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 47, what else is written? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. That's written in the Old Testament too. 
that's written, our solo drive is spelled out for us. This is why Jesus left, says the Old Testament. He's going to leave, and it's going to be up to you. Is there anything like that in the Old Testament? Is there any precedence for that in the Old Testament? Well, let me give you just one example. And this is after 1 Samuel, it's during 2 Samuel, when Solomon becomes king, and he builds a house of God. He builds the temple. David built the house of the king, David, his palace, and then Solomon built the temple. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, he has a prayer of dedication for the temple. And he prays a lot of things. Hey, God, we really want this temple to serve your people well for the forgiveness of sins, all the sacrifices that happen here. Please cleanse us. And he says all this stuff. And then in verse 32, listen to what what Solomon says. As for the foreigner, the non-Israelite, who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, that's a salvation picture, when these foreigners come and pray toward this temple, then, oh God, hear them from heaven, your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you and do as do your own people, Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. So that's in the Old Testament. We're, they were supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations to come and find salvation. And Jesus is showing them that as well. Not only will the Old Testament show you my glory and my forgiveness, it's going to show you your job, your solo drive, This is you driving now. Now, the burning of the heart is the Holy Spirit, right? These two disciples coming back to the 11, that's the church. So we've got the Spirit of God, the people of God. We've got the Word of God. Now what are we going to do? You you remember when Jesus was probably his most angry, the most angry moment of Jesus' three-year ministry. He made a whip, He overturned tables and he drove people out. Where? Of the temple courts. This is the place where Gentiles can come. This is the place where foreigners from a distant land can come, find forgiveness at the temple because they can't pay in their their foreign currency. They have to do money exchanging. That's what's happening here in these courts. And what the people of God was doing was creating a barrier, a, a barrier making it difficult for these foreigners by by charging them a lot of money for these things. And that made Jesus angry. It made him angry. What do we learn from that? The people of God is supposed to pave the way, not block the way of salvation. Jesus says, it is written as he's driving them out, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. They were supposed to make a temple and let it be a house of prayer for all nations, proclaiming repentance, forgiveness. We have to share what we learn. We have to share what burns in our hearts. Do you see that? You can't just keep it. So seek Be active. It's a mind shift difference. Ask God to show up. Knock so the door will be open. Seek him. Don't just seek him in nature, in your daily life. Seek him in the word of God. 
the Old Testament, the scriptures, go to the Bible and seek Jesus. And once you find him, share him in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pray as we read these words from Luke 24 that you would help us. We need your help, Lord. We don't know how to interpret the scriptures on our own, so we need help. Pray that you'd send us your, your spirit as we hold your Bible, as we help each other interpret these scriptures so that we can see the glory of Jesus. We can see you clearly. And God, as we discover you, God, I really I want to share this. I want to get up that same hour. I don't want to wait. I don't want to make excuses or plan for it in my future. I want to move now, and I want our church to be like that. I want all of us, help us, Lord, move as you move, as your outstretched arm reaches to the masses so that they too can see what we see. They too can experience what we experience and we can glorify you and praise you and worship you. I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.